Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast today. We're entering into the Advent season through the book of Luke as we see the birth of Jesus and his childhood years. We're really excited to share that with you and hope that this season will be enveloped by remembering Jesus coming to be with us. We'd also want to invite you to partner with us financially. We have a few missionaries that you can find on our website that have really blessed our church by doing college ministry. And also we have seminarians that we want to invite our listeners to support as well. We're starting a church residency program, praying to uh, see God raise up the next generation of pastors at Renew Church. You can find all that information at the description section. Enjoy the podcast. Check, check, one, two. I'm really grateful for you guys just sharing a little bit. And I know it's hard to close a topic um, like this, but I'm excited that all of you get to come back together at the end of the sermon and hopefully spend a little bit more time praying for each other and sharing your lives with one another. For me, one of the chronic pains a lot of you guys are familiar with uh, is my arthritis in my knees. And... um, It's just sad to slowly let go of volleyball. It's something I love so much, but it's been hard to go as much as I want to. I dropped out of a group that I've been wanting to get into for like eight years because they're such amazing players. And finally, they let me in. And on my best day, I can hang with them. You know, I'm not afraid of getting kicked out. But then the last last week, I sent a text like, hey, I need to go back to my other group because I just can't. I just can't roll with you anymore. And I've been thinking about uh, knee replacements as like my hope for volleyball. But after a lot of research, I realized you don't get knee replacements for volleyball. You get them to walk. You get knee replacements to walk. And after you get knee replacements, it's not for volleyball, it's to walk. And so that's just been uh, something in my life when I'm thinking about chronic pain. I also had this really great opportunity to get to know Joanna better and Charles. They're getting married in less than 30 days. So I'm really excited to officiate their wedding. But Joanna has actually gone through a good amount of pain in her life. And as we were thinking, as I was thinking about my sermon while doing premarital, I was like, can you help me? Can you help me by coming on stage this Sunday? So uh, Joanna, would you come? And we're just going to have her share a little bit of, of her story. And she was so gracious to, you know, steward that toward our church. She's been with us for four and a half years. Um, but could you talk about some of the physical pain that you experience and um, just let us in on a little bit of your world every day? So one reason I'm wearing this hat is an obvious one for me. So I have a severe uh, light sensitivity to artificial lights. So a lot of people are like, oh, you like hats? You have cute hats. I'm like, actually, I hate hats. Um, but, but it helps me to uh, be here because if I thought this hat... I would last a few minutes before I would like feel like I was going to throw up and get really bad migraines. So that's like one chronic pain I've had for about four years. Uh, it came on really suddenly and without explanation. No doctor has found out why. Uh, so it's kind of like ongoing chronic pain, I guess. Yeah. And then another one, um, I suffered through a lot of very, very life-threatening allergies, including one to cayenne pepper uh, that almost took my life multiple times. Um, and, you know, it was like, a really, really crazy time and a lot of pain. It was like constantly being aware of like, can I make it today? Can I survive today? Um, that allergy has now been healed, thank God. But like 
there's still other allergies that cause me a lot of trouble. Um, and then also I have fibromyalgia, uh, which if you don't know, is a uh, chronic pain illness that from your head to your toes, you feel pain randomly anytime from uh, a one pain level to a 10, you can be like dying or feel fine. <laughs> but um, that happened because of some really uh, childhood trauma that I had at a young age. And because of that, just had all the pain my whole life. So I actually can't remember uh, a time without pain in my life. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Joanna. And then there was also uh, emotional pain that you lived with, with your mom, if you don't mind sharing that as well. Yeah, so um, from a young age, I can remember my mom suffering through very severe depression, um, many episodes, and even as young as seven, I can remember um, just seeing that. And so her being absent emotionally and sometimes physically, uh, I raised my two younger siblings, uh, even as a young child and a teenager myself. Um, and yeah, I didn't have that kind of mom, you know, when there's Mother's Day, everyone's like, happy Mother's Day. And then I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Sometimes I wouldn't go to church on Sunday for Mother's Day because it was like so painful. Um, but yeah, so I think that's one. And then when I was um, in Taiwan, I was doing missions in Taiwan in 2017. And my mom was severely depressed and um, did attempt suicide. And um, she survived, but it was not without a lot of like hospital visits and agonizing over that and seeing the pain that she was going through. Um, so I flew back emergency flight from Taiwan uh, to Tennessee where my parents are and um, yeah she spent some time in the ICU, some time in the CCU, uh, two weeks total and then another week at another facility uh, and then three weeks at home where I was caring for her. But I saw a lot of that um, brokenness and that pain. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. <clears throat> a lot of us know Joanna, we've walked down you know, the halls with her, said hello, had many conversations. Um, and for me, you know, even being her pastor for four and a half years, I've, I knew that there was some things going on in your, in your health, but I never knew the extent of it. And yet I feel like that's a lot of our stories, walking uh, past each other and, and just still holding on to some of the pain that we're going through and people not fully understanding it or knowing about it. Again, whether it's emotional, relational, or physical. But I hope that as we walk through the life of Christ, when we see him go through pain, we know we have a savior that understands um, our weaknesses, that have been tempted in every way, that, know, that is a friend of, of grief and loss, whether it's losing his father at an early age, whether it's running from Herod as a refugee to Egypt, whether it's dying on the cross or being rejected by his brothers, that he knew pain in a deep and intimate way. And so for someone like Joanna um, and for all of us kind of in our own space, as we worship God, as we, as we befriend him and pray to him, He's not far away. He's familiar. And this moment in the wilderness is, again, this voluntary um, space that Jesus walks into to experience pain. He goes into a 40-day fast. And fasting is you deciding to not have, you deciding to live without, you deciding to let go. And at the end of this 40-day fast, he was going under 
uh, malnutrition. He was on survival mode, his body. If you look at Luke chapter 4, 1 through 4, I'm going to read the passage we walked through last week. Jesus, filled with the Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. That's a lot of days to be tempted. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. He was starving. He was famished. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live, man shall not live on bread alone. And so today, we're going to take a step back and look at who Satan is, because he's this character that um, invades this moment with Jesus. They're face to face. There's no one else around them. And Jesus and him have this dialogue. Satan doesn't come that explicitly in scripture often. He stands in front of Adam and Eve as a serpent and deceives them. He comes to God um, wanting to wreak havoc in Job's life. He comes to Jesus in the wilderness, and we see his reign and rule in Revelations as the kingdom of God comes on earth. Those are the really explicit moments of the person of Satan um, speaking and being embodied in a scene. All the other, uh, many of the moments in scripture is really him working in the background. We see his influence. We see his hand. We hear his whispers. But he's not personified in the same way. So we're going to take a, a moment just to go into a little dive on Satan. So Satan's meaning, the meaning of Satan in Hebrew is adversary which simply means to oppose or come against. And that's a great way to understand him, that he's not for anything. He's, he doesn't have his own values or even his own ethics. He just wants to be against God. Augustine's view of evil uh, couples well with that definition. He sees evil as simply an absence of good or an absence of God, meaning that anxiety is simply an absence of peace. Hate is an absence of love. Uh, violence is an absence of gentleness. Satan, in the essence of who he is, is not for anything, is simply against God. You know, there's a neo-Satanism that Dave was talking to me about. Sam Smith does this at the Grammys where he dress, dresses up in a demonic way. They do a ritual. He gets eaten by demons. But this is almost just a, a troll to Christians, there are, this neo-Satanism, which people are ascribing to, is not them being in the occult, believing in the person of Satan. They just do it to offend Christians, right? They're just doing it to say that, oh, like, I just want to poke the eye of Christianity, and I want to be offensive to Satan versus actually believing in Satan. But that idea of being opposed to God in Christianity is actually the very name of Satan. They have fulfilled who he is, even without reaching out to worship him in the way that we think of witchcraft. C.S. Lewis does this um, masterpiece called Scriptate Letters, which I've read many times. And he talks about how the de he's writing as a master demon to an apprentice who is tempting this person to fall away from the Lord. And what he says is, we're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. Before, we would terrorize our victims, and we, fought, we sought joy in that. And through that, we could develop people who loved witchcraft. But now, like, the high command has told us to 
operate discreetly so that we can produce materialists, right? So he's like, either we're really blatant with our influence and we produce the occult, or we produce materialists by being subversive. And he's like, we can't, I want to do both. But he says, we're conjuring a way to produce people who, who love Satan without believing in this person. And again, this neo-Satanism is an expression of that. Amazing. This is amazing. C.S. Lewis is amazing. All right, Satan's origin. So probably the best way to see his origin story is Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. And there's a lot of questions that come up with, with why God would create something evil. Is he just wanting some opposition to fight against? Did he make a mistake? Why would a good guy create um, an adversary? But we see that God only creates good things, but he infuses them with will. So here it says, how you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. So eons ago, Satan was created as an archangel to worship and serve God. But there's a pride that starts to erupt in his soul. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the furthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the highest of the clouds. I will be like the most high. I want that to, be, to sink into your soul. Satan's pride took him to a place where he wanted to be like God. And that's why he fell and was cast down to earth alongside of other angels with him, who we now call demons. Now, again, in the next slide, it says Satan's offer. This desire for him to be like God is exactly the desire that he uses to tempt Adam and Eve. When God places the knowledge of good and evil, that tree in the garden, it was a way in which he gave and gifted Adam and Eve free will. Without free will, you can't have love. Love is built on being able to choose your affection for someone. And this placement of this tree was their ability every day, Adam and Eve, to say, you're God and I'm not. I'm under your rule and reign. I love, I want, I want, I desire and choose to be under you. And so Satan, as the serpent, started talking to Eve, and he says, to her, and she's like, oh, if I eat or touch this fruit, I will, I will die. And then he responds in Genesis chapter 3, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be like God. This desire to usurp God, this desire to become like him, is the same desire that caused Adam and Eve to fall. And this a little phrase, knowing good and evil, in one sense is that Adam and Eve experiences evil for the first time, so they have knowledge of it. But another reading of that phrase is that they get to determine good and evil. That being God is to be able to define your own truth and live your own way. In the next slide. Being God means that you get to define your own truth. You get to call something good. And you get to call something else evil outside of God's word. And so all these themes, right? All these tattoos we got, <laughs> all these uh, Instagram posts that we have to take down, find your own truth, know your own truth, you define your truth. I'm not saying that that's like an evil statement and that there's not sentiments of that that 
has truth in it. But if you take it in its entirety, it's basically saying, I get to be God. I get to define reality. I get to define what's right and wrong. And then I get to go my own way, determine your own destiny, manifest destiny. If you scream that five times, your Bitcoin will go up. Uh, do what I want, right? No one gets to tell me what to do. I'm totally independent of anyone else. And, if you, and we live in a postmodern world where there isn't universal objective truth. There's not a God that we're all kind of coming under as we did in the past. And so why wouldn't we think that way? Why would I let you tell me what to do? If, that's, if there's no God, there's only us. What makes you inherently um, more authoritative than me in your view on what's good or bad or reality? Nothing. As an atheist or as a secular person, there's, I would totally buck every claim to truth from an outside source but myself. Because there's nothing about you that should be able to determine how I think or what I do. What allows us to have that, pow um, that dynamic of, of ethics and laws is simply power. It's simply you having more power than me. That's why I'm, I'm stopping at red lights. That's why I'm not taking what I want out of GameStop. Because I don't want to go to jail. It's, the only thing left is power. So you look at our political system and the power grabs that's going on, because that's all we have. You look at R Russia and Ukraine, it's just power. That's all that's left. Any claim to ethics, which we still shout, it doesn't make sense because we're all human. When you insert God and if you submit to him, then there's this um, reality that there's something external, existential to us that should govern and reign over us. And yet we have a brand of Christianity that says, okay, it's nice that God's here, but I'm going to decide what church I go to by what I believe before I believe scripture, right? This, there's these checklists of things that I believe first, political, um, you know, gender identity, uh, sexual ethics. I'm, I believe this, and then I'm going to find a church that agrees with me. Well, you're still being God. You're still finding your own truth, defining what truth is instead of submitting to the Lord. So this is what Satan offers Jesus. And it's, it's hard to see, but, but I'll, I'll kind of um, dissect it for you. Uh, the second temptation. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given me. I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So why does Satan uh, offer Jesus the world? In essence, Satan is telling Jesus to not do the will of the Father, but do his own will. Um, to be God to believe in an alternate truth and to go an alter alternate way. Jesus came to reclaim the world from sin, but he was called to do that through the cross, walking through Calvary, walking into death. Satan offers him a painless way to have the world. It's easier to bend the knee to Satan than to suffer broken legs and a pierced feet. Satan is offering Jesus the world, hey, you can accomplish your mission right here without going through pain without going 
through death without going through the cross. And the reality is that the way of God is harder. When he calls his disciples, he says, if you want to follow me, you have to carry the cross. You have to die. You have to go through a death. You have to suffer in pain and then come out in resurrection. So think about all the people who followed the Lord and yet chose to worship him even in the deaths that they suffered. When we look at the life of Job, we see a man who lost his health, who lost his wealth, who lost his family. And Tim Keller comments that the Job's life and his suffering is really just a condensed version of all of our lives, that we all die those deaths, sometimes in a moment, sometimes in years, but all of us in decades. We age, we lose our function, we can't spend our wealth anymore and enjoy it. The people around us, uh, we grieve losses for. Job goes through that death. Jacob goes through that death after he, or Joseph, after he's, God gives him these dreams, doesn't fulfill them right away. He goes into a death where he's sold as a slave, then spends 13 years in prison. David, after being anointed as king, goes through the death of hiding caves. What is happening in following Jesus? Why, why can't it be wide? Why does it have to be narrow? Why can't it be easy? Why do we have to descend into death in order to follow him? Well, Jesus says this. If you go back to Luke chapter 4, verse 4 to 8, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I think it's in these moments of death and pain that we learn to worship God only. Outside of that, we're often worshiping God alongside of. We're often worshiping God because of. We're often worshiping God and. But it's in those moments where God strips everything away that we worship him only, and we become like him. There's this really cool um, scene when Jesus resurrects, and he appears to all his disciples, then he disappears again, and Thomas walks in like, hey, what's going on? And they're like, Jesus appeared to us. He's alive. He walked through that door. It was locked. He came. He talked to us. And what does Thomas say? He says, unless I put my hands um, through the nails, right, the nail markings, the scars, unless I touch his side, I will never believe. Then Jesus comes, Thomas eats his words, right, and Jesus is like, touch my hands, touch my side, touch my feet. But then he says this, he says, you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. That's an amazing statement because everyone in that room has seen and believed. So who is it that has not seen and still believed? It's like he's breaking the fourth wall. It's like he's talking to the reader. You have not seen. I have not seen. And I'm blessed because I still believe. But I don't feel as blessed as Thomas. I'd rather touch his side. I don't feel as blessed as Mary, I'd rather give him a hug and him be like, oh, you can't touch me, I'm resurrected, right? Like, I want to do that. What's my blessing in not seeing and believing? Well, I think that we get to offer a unique worship on earth that we won't be able to give God for the rest of eternity. 
for the rest of eternity will be at his throne. He'll wipe our tears. We'll sing, we'll dance, we'll kneel. We will humble ourselves because he is in front of us. But there's this worship on earth where we reach for God when he feels far away. There's a worship on earth where we worship God through the pain, through the deaths that we suffer. There's a worship that Job gives that only exists here naked. I came into the world from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The journey of following Jesus involves a journey of death. But in that death, we die to all things except worshiping God alone. I wanted to invite Joanna back up and hear about the way she's worshiping God through her pain and, and the way that even as pain still sucks, she's able to find God. Very good. Pain still sucks. That's very true. Um, yeah, so just because you worship God in the midst of your pain doesn't mean the pain instantly goes away, or maybe it never goes away, and that's something I've definitely seen uh, my whole life because I've not lived without pain of some kind. Um, so he, he doesn't take it away. I think that um, God uses that pain to draw us to him because you can go one way or the other, but, like, obviously... He's trying to draw us closer to him, to love him, and to know him. And I think that having that pain, uh, that constant reminder, like, every single day, oh, this hurts. I wake up with something new. I, suddenly, I'm doing PT for my shoulder. What did I do? Pretty much nothing, right? Like, I'm doing PT. This is my second week. Um, so it's just, like, there's pain. And then we have the choice, like, oh, this is my time to, like, lean on God and see his strength and his power. Um, because when we are weak, he is strong. And so I think that is like, what does it look like? It chooses like not to have the pity party, <laughs> which is very, very easy to have if you're like constantly in pain of some kind. Um, but it's more like, okay, God, I know that maybe you're not taking this away right now, or maybe you never will. And that's okay. You're God. And I was kind of thinking about it like, you know, on our phones, we have a camera or you know, even just a camera. Um, you can look at your tiny little, you know, very small, minute thing, and you can see the detail, and it's really cool. But sometimes if you're focusing on that thing, you can't see the bigger picture unless you're zooming out. You zoom out, you see, oh, this is my piece. God's doing this huge, huge mosaic that we, I couldn't see. And I think that's kind of how the pain is for me, is that if I focus on myself and look inward, I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is so terrible. What was me? Oh, this sucks. Um, and it does, it's painful, but I think if I zoom out, then I see, wow, God is really amazing. He's doing all these things. He's given me opportunities to maybe connect with people that I maybe never would have connected with before, uh, to kind of walk alongside of them with their own pain or their own troubles, um, to be like, okay, I know we don't have the same pain. We all have those different stories and different pieces, but um, God's still working and he's still good. Thanks for sharing that. <clears throat> I feel like in the death, there's these like small redemptions along the way before the big resurrection. And when I hear about um, Charles and Joanna, 
you know, they were sharing with me again doing their wedding, and he was, she was just saying, man, I found someone who loves uh, taking care of me, who's willing to drive out and take me to all the appointments, who's always checking if there's cayenne pepper, maybe, like smelling the air. I, she didn't, they didn't say that, but I just had that image in my mind. Um, <laughs> looking at the lights, you know? Um, and Charles just is, is caring for Joanna in a way that she actually feels foreign to her, like something for the first time. He cares about her. But when I asked Charles about it, you know, he doesn't see her as someone weak that needs help. Because that was her fear. As she's going online and dating, she's like, are people just going to dismiss me because of all my health issues? Are they going to see me maybe as like a burden? Charles, when he looks at Joanna, he sees someone who's strong. And when, you know, he sees someone who's, who persevered. She's like battle-tested. Her faith has lived many lifetimes. And there's not a lot that can come against her that she'll withdraw from the Lord. She's faced so much already. And she still chose God over and over again. Um, on the next slide, <clears throat> there's a, a simple chart that I think is often God's journey for us. That when we start our Christian life, we think about his nearness, how he answers prayers, the promises of great things he has for us, Joseph's dreams, David's anointing, but then he takes us into death before the resurrection. And it's in the wilderness and the deserts where God creates his kings and queens. It's in the desert and the wilderness, it's in the death that he resurrects someone who only loves him and can serve him. That when they have power, there's someone who still bends a knee, washes feet, and elevates voices. When they have money, they're generous because they've already died to greed. They've already died to ego. God, walking the model and the way of Jesus means dying first and then coming out in resurrection. I think about our anniversary and all the ways that um, God put people God had people carried across before giving them a crown. You know, um, when people shared, it wasn't like I'm helping them. It's I went through it first, and now I want to carry other people through it. I think about Rebecca saying, um, I felt the love and embrace of this community, and that's why I started a care ministry, to love and embrace Dario. I think about Nina saying, I, I saw my cousin go through a go through literal fire, and I grieved him almost dying, and now I want to make sure other kids know Jesus. I think about Jen and Roy going through the first marriage and the pain of divorce and saying, I want to wrap my arms around other people through divorce care. I think about Joanne and her story and how it impacts the way she does royal family kids. We don't serve God humbly. We don't love people well. We can't be selfless unless we go through death. And so I wonder, what are the parts of our lives that are dying? Satan's saying, do this other thing to get there. And we're saying, I'm going to embrace death so that I learn how to worship just God and believe in his resurrection. 
Thanks for listening. Since I have you here, I wanted to give you a few more resources and talk about how you can invest in our ministry. If you look at the description section of this podcast, we have a website for the church and would love to have you come visit us when you're in town. We're in Brea, California. We also have tax-deductible giving at Renew, and we would love for you to invest in our church and our seminarians as we have people coming in to become future missionaries and pastors at Renew. We want to train up the next generation of pastors to reach their generation for the Lord. There's also a few more resources. At the very bottom, I do a podcast with Roy Kim, who's an MFT. It's called The Same Boat, where we talk about issues from English ministries at immigrant Chinese churches to relationships and being single. I hope that you would enjoy this podcast with us as a way to talk off the pulpit and into our daily lives. And lastly, Nina and I wrote a children's book series called To Be, helping kids integrate their faith with their occupation. And on that website, there's also the adulting journal. If you're in your 20s or 30s and you're going through transition in career, relationship, or just rethinking your spirituality, this is a great space for you to examine inward and find what God has written on your hearts and in your values. I hope that those resources uh, would connect with your heart and that you would connect with us. God bless.